As we continue this morning, though, in this series entitled Vital Signs, we've been exploring what it means to be a healthy, vibrant church. What does that look like? And as you hear these messages started a couple weeks ago with Pastor Chris with the overview and last week with Pastor Matthew, as you hear these messages, I think every one of us should be asking the question, is this us? Is this what we are? Are we a healthy living body of believers and are we doing what God has designed the church to do? And if somehow you think the answer is no for you or you think the answer is no for us, then something has to change. Something has to change inside of you and something has to change inside of me. Because we will not be able to do corporately what God designed the church to do until you commit individually to do those things. To be all in, as it were. That's a term that we kind of came to prominence a few years back when they started televising poker. And somebody would say, hey, I'm going to be all in. And they would push the, the chips, everything they had in. And they were making a commitment at that point. It's either have it all or lose it all. And that's the idea for us as a church. That's the idea for us as individuals as we, as we come together. All right, Because church is not something you attend. It's not something that you come to once a week. We are a living, breathing organism. And to be all in means that I'm going to commit my time and my gifts and my passions and my other resources. I'm going to be there. And we jump in and we risk loving one another and serving one another and carrying each other's burdens. We step out and we take that risk and we pray and we, and we have We have love together. And if you want to be all in in what God designs you to be in Christ, then you and I, we need to live in that space that says, I'm committed. That space that says, I'm going to set myself aside for the good of what God wants to do in this place and with these people. And it's going to be messy at times because we are a messy people, aren't we? I mean, we are a mess. We come in here often wearing some of our best and acting a certain way. The reality is everybody in this room is carrying around serious burdens, some of us serious sins, some serious brokenness in our life, and we're a mess. But we have got to constantly be in that struggle to allow Christ to overcome that and to set those things aside and to set ourselves aside, what Paul called our selfish ambition. But God designed us to be social creatures and he designed his church to be interconnected as one body, using our gifts to build each other up, Paul said. And that's what it means to live in community, to know one another and to embrace each other, even in the mess. And sometimes that involves encouragement, sometimes Patient listening, sometimes a gentle rebuke, sometimes a harsh rebuke, right? Sometimes we just don't get it and we need to hear it hard. And I appreciate so much the truth that we heard from Matthew last week, the focus on sound teaching. Because God has built his church around his word and that focus on sound teaching is so important. And the primary way that we live out that sound teaching is how we live in community with one another. And I don't know what that looks like to you. Maybe you're in a life group. Maybe it's 
your faith training group on Sunday morning, a Bible study in your home, a small group with guys that meets on Tuesday morning, okay? Maybe you gather some people together at lunch and pray every day with your coworkers. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I guarantee you, you're interconnecting with some of God's people in some way at some level because we're designed to do that. I had a conversation with an older member in the church a few years ago. We had, we had jumped into doing life groups on Sunday evening, and they were kind of lamenting how they missed Sunday evening service. The irony is they didn't attend Sunday evening service, but that's another story. All right? And so I'm talking to this person, and, and, and they were telling me about this Bible study that they did and this group of ladies that would come to their house, and it was once a week, and what, they were te- what she was teaching and, and how good it was. And I said, well, that's your life group. Oh, no, it's not. Don't use that term with me. That's not my life group. That's fine. Call it what you want. But it's the importance of being together. And so this morning we talk about community and we talk about the importance of community. Because whether it's sitting with a friend during their dad's surgery or a buddy who comes over because his family's falling apart, his kids are a mess, his marriage is falling apart, or some of us going to the Dominican Republic and building a church together, a building together, or whether it's studying God's Word in this setting, we were created to live in community. We were created for that. All right? And so I want you to see this. Community is a critical component of our journey together in faith. And it's the outward demonstration the outward demonstration of the truth that God plants in our hearts. All right, that's what community is. And so there's kind of two main streams I want to go down this morning, two kind of big ideas I want to explore. And the first one is this. Community occurs as a response to the gospel. All right, community occurs as a response to the gospel. We've already read this passage this morning. We've already been in this passage for a couple weeks. It should be familiar with you. All right? And so we're going to dig into that again. If you have it in front of you, that's great. We're going to be in it again. All right? So little, just a little picture frame around what's going on. Peter's preaching. It's the day of Pentecost. We see in that first verse that some 3,000 people have, have committed their lives to Christ. All right? And, and the church is born. And then right there, something amazing happens. Immediately, these people jump into community. This new church... All right, and these new believers begin to find community together instantly. They're like right into it. All right, and you, you got to remember, they've traveled from all around for this event. Okay, different languages, they're, just, they're, they're from all over. Okay, and they're jumping into each other's lives in a way that we've never seen before. And I don't know if we've seen it since. Because as we look at this, ask yourself, is this me? Is this my church? Is this where I'm living in this space? Is this how I operate, how I think, how I function? Or was this just them for their time? Because it should not be that way. And so we're going to look at kind of four key words, okay? The first one we see in verse 42 was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. And there's a, an idea here. Okay, I don't have any Greek word jokes like Matthew had last week. because That was funny, but I, I can't do it. But I did look up these words, and I did study this a bit. Okay? And the idea here between devoting themselves is there's an idea of steadfastness. 
the idea is they were highly committed to what they were doing. All right? To learning and growing and to doing this thing together. They were highly committed, steadfast. And I think sometimes we get it in our head that we've arrived at a certain point spiritually where we kind of back away from that. I have the advantage of having served in this church for a long time with you people and, I, and, and being loved by you and loving you, and that's fantastic. And over the years, I have seen this. I have seen people completely, fully committed, and I've seen them back away. And I've seen them eh, just kind of re-engage a little bit again and then back away based on a number of things. Circumstances, somebody did me wrong, some pain, whatever. That's not the way God designed us to be. That's not the way it works. For better or for worse, this is what we are. So be committed, be steadfast, jump in, all right? And be a part of the process that, that gets us to where God wants us to be. And it's true. There's so many resources out there today. You can learn so much on your own with the internet and television preachers. I'm not really recommending most of them. But there's a lot of resources out there that you can begin to learn things on your own. But there's nothing as sweet as coming together around God's word and challenging each other to go deeper. To be encouraged, to be more passionate about our faith together. That's why I love life groups. That's why I love faith training. They create a space to be accepted where you are in your walk and be challenged to grow and to be more. So if that's not where you are individually, then that's not where we are corporately. We're not going to get there until you decide, I'm going to be all in. If you read further in the Acts passage, you see in verse 44 that they were together and had everything in common. They were together and had everything in common. The idea here is that really participated in the body. Even to the point we see in the next verse that they sold some of their stuff and began giving the money to each other. You're from out of town and you don't have this. Here, I'm going to sell something and I'm going to meet your need. And they jumped in and participated together. They were in each other's homes. They were sharing meals. In, in this culture, that was a little bit unusual, and I want to talk about that more later, okay? But this was kind of a, a stretch for these people. Who, in the Jewish culture, they would have been very family-oriented. They would have been very guarded about opening up their home. It's not, it's not like today where you just maybe sit down at a table with people you don't know and get to know them or invite, hey, there's a new couple that's been coming to church for two weeks. Let's have them over. It wasn't like that. I wish it was, okay? But it is now because Christ is making a difference. And so we respond to the gospel by devoting ourselves, by being committed, but also by participating together. There's a huge difference in the background of these people. And one of the greatest things about the gospel is that it transcends wealth and poverty. It transcends fame and anonymity it transcends intelligence and well you know (laughs) what some of the rest of us are okay the gospel goes beyond all that it puts everybody on a level playing field and it says it doesn't matter black white poor rich where you're born it does not matter 
We are sinners in need of salvation that can only be provided by Christ on the cross. And so we're on this playing field that's, that's equal, and the gospel accepts us where we are, and our response is to do the same with each other. Community is a response to the gospel, and having things in common is a response to the gospel. And I've seen this practice so well in our church. You people are amazing, just amazing, at the way you share your time and your money, gifts, abilities with others in need. And I want to encourage you to keep it up because it makes this house special. When we hear the community say, you're the church that does this. You're the church that takes in those kids. You're the church that hands out those blessing bags. You're the church that rallies around people. That's what we want to hear. Moving on. They continue to meet together and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. How? With glad and sincere hearts. Simply put, community is a response to the gospel because it spawns celebration. That's what it means here to have a glad heart. You've been brought out of death and you've been made alive again. Okay, now I want to say that again. All right? Because there was not much celebrating going on there. All right? Cormie's online here. All right? You were brought out of death and made alive again. All right? You were made alive. And that is an amazing thing. And don't you want to celebrate the amazing things with people around you? I mean, isn't that what you want? Hey, last year when the Cubs won the World Series, Game 7, right? Playing the Indians, it's Game 7. Let me tell you something. It was not Dan Best sitting in my living room watching that game with me. He's an Indians fan. And I was not about to risk... The Cubs getting beat in game seven with Dan sitting in my living room. It was Steve Cuthbert. Why? Because we together have endured years of misery as Cubs fans. Years and years and years of being let down. Okay? 108 years. Now, we're not that old, but that's how long it had been since the Cubs won the World Series. All right? So it wasn't Dan. It wasn't Brad Farhaw who inexplicably likes the Yankees. Okay? It was Steve, all right? Because that's who I wanted to celebrate with. And let me tell you something, we celebrated. We're jumping up and down. We're high-fiving, man. We're, we're getting online right after the game, ordering our World Series clothing. I mean, we celebrated, okay? How much more precious is it to sit together and celebrate what Jesus did for us and continues to do in us and through us? I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. And then the last one in this passage, another way that we see community as a response to the gospel, we see it in verse 47. These believers with glad hearts are praising God and having favor with all people. Being in community with one another and doing it well is going to impact the world around us. It may be the single greatest way outside of speaking the gospel that we can demonstrate who Jesus Christ is by living in community. It's going to make a relationship with Jesus attractive to other people. 
people who are searching for answers, people who don't have that community, people who do live in hopelessness and loneliness are going to look at what the church is and does and how they live, and they're going to be attracted to that. Literally, it means they had the approval of others. What a way to respond to the gospel. Wow. Look, they're living in community in such a way. I'm noticing that. I'm I'm looking at that, and I'm like, that's incredible. Look at how they care for one another. Look at how they love so well. Look at how they serve the city of Beckley together. Look at their integrity. Look at their compassion. Look at their sacrificial giving. Look at those people. We want a church that lives like that, don't we? Don't we want to be a body that is that way? That lives in response to the gospel in such a way that people take notice? Because look what happens at the end of verse 47. People were coming to Jesus every day and joining this young church. It's incredible the way that they immediately began to live together in community. How that began to impact the world around them. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And we see this today. If I say the name of a certain church, I get Westboro Baptist. Yeah. Okay, some of you are like, I don't know who that is. I'll introduce you to the internet later. Okay? But Westboro Baptist. Okay? Unbelievable the amount of divisiveness and discord that they create as a church. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the shame that they bring to the name of Jesus Christ in some of the things they do and how they treat people. We want to be on the other end of that spectrum. That is not us. It should never be us, and I pray it never will be us. So community occurs as a response to the gospel. But the other big idea I want to explore with you this morning is the idea of this. Community is a beautiful reflection of the gospel. Community is a beautiful reflection of the gospel. So stick with me here. We're going to take a little little side path and we'll come back and connect the dots. All right, Just hang with me. If you want, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 for a few minutes. All right, Scripture will be on the screen, but you can turn over. So in Revelation chapter 3, John is writing the words of Jesus to the church at Laodicea. He's been writing the words that Jesus tells him to write to these churches. And we're we're not going to spend a lot of time in the background there, all right? But in verse 14 and 15, he starts with this rebuke, okay? And he said, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He starts with this rebuke to this church because of the way that they're living. Because of how people are seeing them. This church. And he said, either jump in all the way, be all in, or get out. But anything in between, it disgusts me. It makes me sick. Don't be that way. And so after the the rebuke, Jesus puts all his chips on the table. Okay? What an amazing picture here. If we look at verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and and eat with that person and they with me. 
Christ, I mean, think about this. Christ is picturing himself standing on the outside, knocking on the door. On the outside, knocking on the door. Because this church was not living the way that he designed them to live in the context of the gospel and in their relationship with him. And the appeal is that for those to hear the door, the appeal is for them to open the door. It's an appeal to believers. And he says, when you open the door, I'm going to come in, I'm going to eat with you, and you're going to eat with me. I mentioned earlier, some of this is a big deal in this culture. Okay? And the same thing is true in this verse. And I think this is really important to understand. All right? It's a big deal. It's not like at lunch where you just sit down with people. It's not like at work or whatever. In the New Testament culture, you had to be close. You had to be intimate to have someone enter your home and eat at your table. And that's what's really pictured here. That's what Jesus is asking for in this letter. He's saying, I desire an intimacy with you. That's what he wants. And I love the way that John 17, 3 says it. We won't turn there and look, but Jesus is praying, and in his prayer he says, This is eternal life, that I may know you, the only true God. That's that's his prayer. And the word know there is not an intellectual knowledge. It means literally to experience. It is an intimacy that I'm going to experience you. I'm going to experience this relationship. How intimate? How intimate? It's the same word that Scripture actually uses to describe how couples experience one another when they conceive children. Did I say that well? All right. That's, what, that's good. All right. That's the intimacy That's the word, that's the experience, that's the desire of Jesus, is for us to know him like that. And Jesus is saying, that's what's on the other side of this door that I'm knocking on. And if we could just go to the Old Testament for a minute and and, and remember something. Um, Back in the day, God had told Moses that he could come into his presence by putting together a special tabernacle. Okay? It was basically this huge tent. And he gave them all the requirements, and the people put it together, all right? And when they traveled, it traveled, okay? A, a cloud over it, right, during the day, fire by night, okay? When they moved, it moved. And inside was this place to give offerings, but then inside of in there was this special place that no one went, the most holy place, except the priest of Israel could go in there, all right? Under certain conditions and at certain times. That's what he could do. And behind that was the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? This awe-striking, glory-filled representation of the presence of God. That's what was in that most holy place. And eventually, David set about to build the tabernacle. He didn't get to finish it. Solomon did, and it was modeled on the tabernacle that had this massive curtain behind, which was this holy of holies. Now, it was better than my curtain, okay? This curtain would have been big. I didn't go back and look at how tall, but again, the internet, 
okay? Or, I don't know, Leviticus, all right? Just read the whole book today and you'll find it, all right? But it was huge, okay? And inside of that curtain, inside of that curtain was the most holy place and was the ark and was the power and presence of God. And that's how people would experience God. Somebody else would go in there and come back out and say, this is what God said. This is what I learned. This is what you are to do. And so these people had lived for generations like this. It's how they experienced God. Outside, looking in. But then Jesus comes along and changes everything, doesn't he? What happens on the cross to that curtain? He rips it in half at his death. It gets torn in half from the top down. The earth is quaking. Everything is dark. Jesus dies. And that curtain goes. And it's God's way of saying that there is a whole new deal. Jesus has made one sacrifice... For all sin, for all time, for all people. And that's it. No more somebody else going in there and sacrificing. No more. And so for years after being separated by that mysterious curtain, Jesus tears it down. He just rips it off. And what he says is this. I'm standing at the door knocking. Come and sit with me. Let's talk. Let me love you. You love me. Let me encourage you. I want you to know me. Let's have this intimate fellowship that has been unknown to the people of God up until this time. That's what I want with you. I stand at the door and knock? Excuse me. We should be standing on the door and knocking, shouldn't we? I mean, isn't, that, isn't it backwards? I should be doing everything I can to pursue him. And yet he does everything he can to do to pursue me. It should say, here am I, Lord. I stand at the door and knock. Let me and I want to know you. But no, it's him doing the knocking. It's him that wants me. And that's the gospel. That when we live in community together, we are reflecting that gospel. Just as Christ desires for us to know him and him to know us and us to have this incredibly intimate relationship with one another, to experience one another, we reflect that when we do it with each other. When we stop sitting in our little corner of the pew, sliding in on Sunday and sliding out, not participating, not committed, don't have the glad heart, don't have the approval of others. The gospel 
When we live in community with one another, we're reflecting the gospel. We sit and we talk and we encourage and we love and we share and we disciple and we rebuke and we prod and we counsel. But we do it together. That's a reflection of the gospel. That's how we live out before others what Jesus desires to live out with us. And so where are you at in terms of your life in community? Are you all in? We're not going anywhere as a church till you get there. We're not going anywhere as a church till we get there. Stay on the sidelines, stay in the periphery, keep answering to your selfish ambitions. And we're going to be stuck in neutral. And it's not what God designed us to do. So today, if you would just pray with me, if you would bow your head and pray with me. I I actually today hope and pray that you have seen a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope today that you understand, maybe some of you for the first time, I hope you understand that Jesus died on that cross. And by doing that, he made a way for us to step out of death and into life. For sin to be defeated. And for you to enter into a relationship with him. One that is eternal. Maybe you've heard that all your life. Maybe today you're thinking about that again. I want to give you a chance to respond to that in a minute. I'm going to give you a chance to step to the back of the room where there's a couple of people back there that would love to just take God's word and talk more about it with you. No pressure. We're not selling you anything. Nobody's going to force you to do anything. But the other other part of that is this. Maybe today you're sitting there in your chair and you're realizing... That Jesus has been standing at the door and knocking and he wants this intimacy with you and you are not responding. You are holding back. You are making excuses and you are refusing to live in that community with Christ. And you so need to do that. And so today as, as we, as I pray here in a minute... I'm going to ask you just, again, if you want to talk to somebody, slide out and talk to somebody. If you want to sit in your seat there and just ask God to help you explore your heart, explore where you're at, then do that. No pressure. I would only ask that you would just open up your heart over the next few minutes of quiet and then I'll close us in prayer.